few months after that, everything goes out. In March 2012, the price dropped 45, 40, back to 35, back to my started with some losses. So I, I was too confident and put more position and expected the rebound. So the price keep keep going down even more that then I started to realize and do some research on what is going on with the company, which I should do it earlier. And I have learned the demand in that commodity was shifted. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community and claim our podcast listener discount on my Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Tanawit Unsakun. Tanawit, are you ready to rock? I am all ready to rock, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show, and maybe you could take a few minutes, a minute or two, just to introduce yourself, give us a little bit of your, about your background and, and what you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you for your introduction. Um, I am a petroleum engineer for 15 years. My first job was a fuel engineer working on an offshore drilling rig in 2006. I started my first investment on the first month payroll just because I, I wanted to save some tax. So I, I, I did start with tax saving fund and my portfolio grew slowly before it became collapsed in 2008. I consider myself lucky during the financial crisis. The oil price dropped after 10 years of Bulan. People I knew lost their job. It was tragic, but it was pure luck for me that I, I still have the job and the money was locked down in a tax saving fund. So I cannot do stupid things like panic selling, but I cannot find peace in my every time I think about that drawdown, I feel painful and almost out of the market. But luckily, then I met an excellent friend on, on the league who introduced me to the concept of where you're investing. At that point in time, my investment become more rational and systematic. And the first book he recommended me to read was One Up on the Wall Street by Peter Lynch. And that book changed my thinking on how, how an amateur like me can, can beat the market. So... My thinking also influenced by many other value investors. I chose to study Dr. Niwe, Dr. Paibun. They also quite low model for Thai people in being the self-made billionaire and set good example of simple life after you becoming rich. And not to mention Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Howard Marks, Monish Prabhai, or even yourself, Andrew, I study your work, FVMR, right? You talk about the, yeah. the principle, that principle. Yep. Yep. So... So after all this year, I found that peace of mind is really important for me to stay invest. People underestimate the investment horizon when talking about the compounding effect. So people want high return without considering risk. Then I, I took it slowly and diversify my asset uh, into many assets. I have boring assets like cash, lead, that is just in case for emergency. And I also have, I do invest mostly in stock. I love mid, mid and small cap growth stock, tech stock, and I do invest in some fintech startup, even digital, digital assets like crypto. I like to study the stock, the business, and the people behind. 
So as a result, I, I began to share my investment knowledge and my research on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter under the name of Investinia. Yeah, that's about it. And if people want to follow your work, where is the best place for them to search you out? You can follow me on the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Depend which platform you are on. I I on on that three. Yeah. Okay, and we'll include we'll include links to the all of those places in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want to follow, feel free. You know, I tell you a funny story about uh, Dr. Pai Boon. You know, mm-hmm. the people that you mentioned in Thailand, I mean, are really venerable value investors and long-term you know, investors have done a huge amount to educate Thai people, Dr. Niuet yes. and mm. uh, Dr. Pai Boon. And there was another guy that I remember used to be with Dr. Pai Boon quite a bit, Dr. Precha, and uh, he was a, a good friend of mine also. But I remember 1995, Dr. Pai Boon asked me to come up to a seminar in Korat in northeast of Bangkok by about two hours for those people that don't know Thailand. So I drove up there and yeah, I was just amazed. It was a huge crowd and it was like 1995. I was, I moved to Thailand in 1992. I started being an analyst in 1993 and it was just such a great opportunity. And, um, you know, I just, uh, have been admiring what Dr. Pai Boon has done as far as educating Thai people as, and as Mm. well as Dr. Niuet and, uh, Many years ago, when I taught an equity valuation course at Thomasad, I, I asked Dr. Niuet if he would stand in for my course because I had to be abroad. And I thought, he's such a, a master compared to me that I thought my students really had a great opportunity. So, mm. yeah, these, these guys have really done a lot for Thailand. Mm. And I think the reason why it's also important is because so many people get trapped into the volatility of the market and the excitement mm. of the market. And, you know, you mentioned you know, about long-term horizon and, yeah. you know, you also mentioned about peace of mind and, you know, building a portfolio that's good quality portfolio and, and just letting it Let go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you planted flowers and then as soon as they started growing a little bit, you, you, you pulled them out mm. and you say, I'm going to move them over here. I'm going to replace them with some other ones. You're never going to have a beautiful flower bed, you know? Yeah, so. correct. Yeah, similar. You, you will have weed instead. <laughs> exactly. They'll come in. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it. Then tell us your story. Mm. Okay. Actually, I had a lot of bad investment in my life. But one of the worst was back in October 2011. I was trying to buy $100 bill with $50 in price. Let's not mention the name of the company, but it was one of the growing commodity company at the time. So it was very beginning of my journey when I do stock selection based on financial ratio. So on the snapshot of that day, there, there was one commodity stock that went down from went down 40% from its all-time high at about 60. The valuation looked very cheap, price to earning less than 10, debt to equity less than one. The analysts say it will go to 80. So I do some math and figure out, okay, that will be one backer from the analyst target price. So I bought it in at 30, the price moved up 35, 40, 45. I just kept on buying on the way up. So a few months after that, everything goes out. In March, 2012, the price dropped 
45, 40, back to 35, back to my started with some losses. So I, I was too confident and put more position and expected the rebound. So the plus keep, keep going down even more that then I started to realize and do some research on what is going on with the company, which I should do it earlier. And I have learned the demand in that commodity was shifted. Basically, the, the sale kept dropping quarter after quarter. And I have lost aversion. And so I, I don't want to sell it until November 2012. I feel very stressful. And, but luckily, I talked to one of my instructors back to university. Um, he pointed out that my investment was sunk cost. So basically, um, I have to look forward, not backward. So I become realized that I have to stop the breed and close the position at about 20. So I realized about 50% losses. So, mm-hmm. and that is the story of my loss, Andrew. So how long was the time between when you bought it and when you sold it? It's about one year, about okay. one year, yeah. And what was the feeling that you felt like when you, I mean, obviously at some point you felt relief, okay, get rid of this. Mm, mm. But, you know, you're a smart guy, mm. you know, you're not, you're not a dummy. You worked, you know, to try to make this investment. How did you feel when it really didn't work out? Mm. Actually, back before I, I sell it, I, I feel so many things in, in my mind. I, I feel greedy when I buy. I, I can only see the upside, right? Not, not the downside risk. I feel irrational as well. I, I had an anchoring bias to, to the price, to the all-time high price. And that is not the valuation, by the way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of good news when, when I bought it in. So it kind of caused the confirmation bias to me. And I, <laughs> I also feel fear of missing out on, on the rally that I first bought in. So that's why I bought buying more on the, on, on the way up and buying more on the dip. Mm-hmm. And, but when I sell, I feel, I feel rational. I feel really calm. And since I had evaluated the, the change in fundamental, so, so I, I don't feel regret. I, I have to sell it. Yeah, stop mm. the breed. Mm. Yeah. So how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this? Sure. Actually, there are so many lessons on this specific investment, but number one is be aware of the value trap. I think this is the beginner trap for, for the investment in commodity stock. So when you try to value the company from only the quantitative, not the quality, that is the trap you will have. So basically I blind myself from seeing the shift in demand incoming. And this also means that I don't have the circle of competence in, in the industry and not understanding the business well. Not well enough to, to see if the earning will die drastically after I, be, I will buy in. And second is the quantitative valuation alone is not the only problem, but the another is I did it all wrong because my valuation based on the past earning, that is like I driving the car and looking in the rear view mirror, which instead I should look forward into the traffic. Mm. So in other words, I, I should use the future earning in the valuation that imply me the best time to invest in that stock was during the recession in 2008, where the price to earning was high and not three years later when I start my position. So the position I has entered was like a, at the peak of the cycle. And that is why the PE is very low and attractive to buy. And the last one is 
I realized that the fundamental has changed, but I hold on to it, which I should not. It is like we we talked in the beginning that um, I think it came from Peter Lynch that it called cutting flowers and watering the weeds. That I should let go the loser stock. Yeah. Mm. So that that concludes my lesson. Yeah, those are great lessons. In fact, I'm just looking at my at my bookshelf here. I've got beating the street up there. And when I started, you know, at in 1993, there and I started in Thailand. There was no, you know, internet or something, so I just had to get as many books as I can. But you remind me of another book which I really love, and I just want to see if I can find it. There it is. Hold on. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this book called "Your Money and Your Brain," Jason um, Zweig. Frankly, I I, I never heard. So this the reason why this book and you can see my my notes in the book that I took and the the stickers and stuff yeah. that I did, but basically this was a great book because he looked at kind of the neuroscience of investing and he basically was able to show that when you're winning or losing in the stock market, there's an actual physical reaction that's going on in your head, in your brain, and in your body, and that's when I really learned that investing is a physical sport. So when you explained about your feeling and the way that you feel. You know, I I really like to help people to understand that you know, be careful because investing is a contact sport. It is a physical sport, mm. a physical activity, and a lot of people go into it not realizing that, and then they lose control of their emotion, and it it just has too much. And I think the other thing you talked about was the idea of you know you were more you're more relaxed, peace of mind compared to at that time. So that's that's one of the things that I was thinking about. When you were talking, the other thing I was thinking about too is that you know you said the analyst said da 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 that the stock was going to go up or it's going to make this earnings, and as an analyst all my career, what I always tell CEOs, I always tell CEOs have asked me, you know, what advice would you give me? I'm listing my company in the stock market. I'm going to start meeting analysts, and I always I always say never listen to analysts. <laughs> Because they never ran a business, you know. Yeah. They're just running spreadsheets and all that. Yeah. And just because someone's an analyst doesn't mean that they're necessarily a great stock picker. Mm. But they may be a great communicator. Mm. And there's a difference. So that that's a second thing that I kind of took away. And then you know I think you highlight an interesting lesson. Now you're talking about a commodity, but we also have. The concept of a cyclical company, which you know, oftentimes is a commodity, like mm-hmm. let's say oil, as an example. But the thing about a cyclical company is that it usually takes—it's a capital-intensive business, mm-hmm. and it usually takes. You know, if you look at—I was just looking at PetroChina. Seventy-five percent of their assets are fixed assets. That's okay. already very high, even for the energy sector globally. But the mm-hmm. point is, is that investing in those types of projects could take. Three, five, ten years before revenue comes, and oftentimes, you know, it's very hard to to deal with supply and demand at that time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the lesson that that I take away is a reminder that with cyclical stocks, you buy when they are expensive, when PEs are expensive, because that means they're at the bottom of their earnings cycle, and you sell when they're cheap. That's one great lesson to take away. Anything you would add to to what I got from your okay, story? Okay. Um- Actually, I have one funny thing about the the analyst research. No, no offense to you, Andrew. None taken. <laughs> I used to to heard that this target price is adjusted not only to the fundamental of the firm, but also to the current stock price, and that is the 
most irrational thing I have ever heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful. <laughs> exactly. When I worked at Citibank, basically Citibank had a policy like, okay, if there's 10, 15% upside from the current price, it's a buy. And if there's 15%, I think it was even 10% downside, then it's a sell. This is such a narrow range that really you're, you're constantly changing your target price mm -hmm. because somebody at headquarters made a decision that this is how we should do it. And as a result of many brokers and investment banks following such a system, which ultimately covers their ass, that's a lot of what they're trying to do and trying mm -hmm. to keep their analysts you know, in line in that way. But what ends up happening is that you just end up creating a huge amount of noise. And that's, I think, you know, one of the other things I take away from, uh, from listening to you and you mentioned it from the beginning is like, as an individual investor who can think independently, you have a major advantage. And I think most people don't think that. They think that, you know, they've got to get expert opinion on this and that. But if you learn foundational stuff, you read some of the foundational books, you, you're also building a portfolio of, you know, 10, 15 stocks, you know, so that you're somewhat diversified. You're not getting all into one. You have an advantage because there's a second advantage that you have. The first one is that if you just don't pay attention to all the noise out there, and, and ultimately that's what analysts and salespeople in brokerages do is they create a lot of noise to get people to trade. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that if there's one thing we can say about society today, we are a society now of very, very short attention span and a society of distraction. Mm -hmm. And if you can take a long-term view, you're very rare. Yeah. And so I think that's a, in a lesson that listening to you talk about your peace of mind. And, you know, I have a, a client of mine who's a family office. He doesn't care. He doesn't, he wants to hold the stock for 10 years. He doesn't care about liquidity so much. He's willing to get into something and he's willing to take a very long-term view and the market's not. And so mm -hmm. you have a competitive advantage. Yeah. So Excellent. that's great lessons. All right. So based upon what you learned from this story, and now let's just imagine a young man or woman out there who's, they got their eye on that commodity stock. They see mm -hmm. it, the story, they got it, you know, all that. What one action would you recommend our mm -hmm. listeners take? to avoid suffering the same fate. Mm, okay. I, I, I don't think um, the action given by me will, will be general for, for all the people, right? So the investment is more like a style in managing the risk. So to adopt any principle or repeating process throughout your life, you must feel good with it, right? So some people good at speculation. So commodity might be a, a good cash machine for them and some good at quantitative and number, some good at macro view, right? And some, some also do the business view. But if I do advice, you, you must find your style and try to make it from good to great. And one of the best way to develop that is branding. Personally, I, I brand from so many investors, right? So, so I, I try to find, find my style that give me the, the life that, that I want to live as well. So I want to sleep at night and I want to travel during the weekend. So I, I, I blend, blend the part I like from many, many value investors and I drop the part I don't. So having said that, the, the principles are aligned in buying good business at reasonable price, but the, 
that that is the part I like. But the part I don't like, for example, Charlie Munger, he has the high conviction portfolio, but I chose not to adopt that principle because I I cannot resist the swing in my stomach. So that diversification is more kind to me, which is part of my thinking came from John Bogle. Mm. So the bottom line for for anyone who listen is find your style and make sure that it will help balance your investment and life and stay invest. Yeah. Find your style, ladies and gentlemen. Great advice. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I meant I meant to be a drilling engineer, so I like to study and drill down deep to the foundation. At work, I do research in engineering stuff. At home, I do apply methodology and research in financial stuff. So my my mission in life is to inspire and empower the knowledge of the people. Hence, my goal is try to publish a well-known investment article as often as I can, so mm-hmm. that my follower can can be. At least one inch closer to the investment world, and because I I have learned so many valuable lessons from from the other investor as well, so uh, I think it it is my time to pay it forward to the community. Yeah, fantastic. It's interesting that I've had a lot of students in my valuation masterclass that are engineers. It seems like the the structured thinking of engineering can be applied to the world of finance. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. And when you join, you get that special discount on the Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp. As we conclude, Tanawit, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just enjoy. Enjoy investment. Yeah. Great advice. Just enjoy investment, ladies and gentlemen. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on The Upside.